0: Hello, brothers, and welcome back to another edition of our very own Balanced Men. I am excited to have you along for this episode of the podcast as we are joined by brother Scott Carr. Stay tuned. We have a lineup that is only getting better and better, including brothers such as Brian Warren, brother Bill Tragos, and many other Sigep heroes uh, to many. So stay tuned on those and be sure to, to follow the podcast if you're not already. That being said, let me tell you a little bit about Brother Carr. Scott has been practicing law for 31 years with Green, Roy Lip, and Wheeler in Santa Monica, where as a co-managing partner, he has gained recognition for his expertise in business litigation and legal malpractice. And during his successful career, Scott has obtained numerous multi-million dollar verdicts and settlements in the areas of business litigation, legal malpractice, invasion of privacy, and personal injury, totaling in excess of $300 million. Brother Carr was on the team named Consumer Attorneys of the Year by the consumer attorneys of California for his work as co-lead trial counsel on the matter of Aaron Andrews versus Nashville Marriott. His efforts on that case have led to increased privacy, security, and safety for hotel guests worldwide, and he has also made a difference in the lives of many through his work to increase product and consumer safety. Brother Carr has previously served as the president of the Association of Business Trial Lawyers in Los Angeles, and he has received recognition as a top 100 super lawyer, amongst being consistently recognized as one of the best lawyers in America. Brother Carr earned his undergraduate degree from the University of California, Santa Barbara, with a beautiful campus, and he obtained his law degree from the Southwestern University School of Law. Brother Carr is also a 34-year volunteer for the Phi Epsilon Fraternity, which anyone who knows him knows he holds close to his heart. He's the AVC president for his home chapter of Cal Gamma, and he currently serves on several committees and boards, including SIGEP National Advancement Council, Trago's Quest Degree Selection Committee, and the Board of Governors. Scott was honored by SIGEP as a distinguished alumnus and was one of the first brothers to receive the Exemplary Service Award. He's been a speaker at Rock Conclave, Life After College. Heck, he's even available for weddings and bar mitzvahs. This episode and conversation with Brother Carr is fascinating. And some of the insights and takeaways on volunteering and the importance of it uh, are extremely valuable. I hope you all enjoy it. That being said, let's dive right in. Yeah. Well, today we have none other than uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Brother Scott Carr. Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: No, my pleasure. Good to see you bright and early on uh, January 1st. (laughs) Yes, no better way to to ring in the new year here.
0: Absolutely. So the first question, and this is quite possibly the the most important question, is when are you and UC Santa Barbara gonna let up and let Iowa Theta make some moves on Founders Day of Giving?
1: well it's not iowa theta you know these days it's lawrence tech i mean you know they're the ones that kicked our butts this year um and by the way caleb you guys did a fantastic job and i hope tom uh, barton uh, let you guys know that uh, you know we were all so proud of what you guys were able to accomplish in terms of you know, the difference between what you did last year and uh the the machine you put together this year so I, I, I'm worried about you guys next year. You know, Cal Gamma's got to got to stay on our game. Otherwise, you guys are going to pass us up, no that's,
0: doubt. That's right, yeah. you, you got to keep your uh, eyes out for the, the Hicks from the Sticks, wherever coming through you in, in 2020. <laughs> well, I, was born,
1: I was born in Ohio, so I don't call you guys Hicks from the Sticks, you know. <laughs> and uh, Barton will call Hicks from the Sticks, but not you guys. You guys are
0: not good. I love that. So then, okay, so from originally from Ohio then, uh, and then you end up at UC Santa Barbara all the way out on the, the West coast in the early eighties to start college. So what led you to UC Santa Barbara then?
1: Well, I, I uh, was born in Ohio, but I grew up in California. So I, okay. I moved to, to the San Fernando Valley uh, when I was a young child, grew up in the Valley, um, you know, and I wanted to find a school where I could still go home and visit, mm-hmm. uh, but was far enough away where I could could uh, still have some level of independence because I was pretty young. I was uh, I skipped a grade early on, so I was barely 17 when I started college. Wow! And so so I was young and I was immature and I it was it was best for me to stay close to home. So it was about an hour away. Um, okay. So it was perfect for me. And you see Santa Barbara, come on, man, it's right on the beach. <laughs> It, it is just an amazing, one of the most beautiful campuses in the world. How could I go wrong? Uh, and uh, to this day, I'm glad I made that decision.
0: That's awesome. Can't imagine that having a beach right next to your campus.
1: Oh, uh, you can see the beach from campus. It's oh. beautiful. Uh, you know, come on out. We'll take you on the tour.
0: <laughs> I'd be down for that. That that sure beats a. Uh, you know, being in the, the middle of a cornfield, pretty much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a lot to be said for cornfields, Caleb. Come
0: on. So then, okay, you go to UC Santa Barbara. You're about an hour away from home. When you went into college, were you already considering joining Greek Life? Or how did that come to be for you personally?
1: No way. In fact, at the time that I went into college, I was anti-Greek. Uh, I Whoa. You know, I had no desire to join a fraternity. Um, The stereotypes in terms of what fraternities were weren't something that was appealing to me, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I ended up in a really strange situation. I was um, so growing up, I was a uh, a trap shooter and uh, I would travel the United States and I was an all-American. I traveled around the world. And so the summer before I started college, I actually, uh, was participating in the Maccabea games, the Jewish Olympics in Israel. And one thing I forgot to do was to secure housing at UC Santa Barbara uh, (laughs) as an incoming freshman. And uh, so about two weeks before school started, my mom and I uh, drove up to Santa Barbara so I could find out where I was gonna live because the dorms were all full and there was no housing available. And, uh, I remember it distinctly like it was yesterday, and this is you know almost 40 years ago now, but my mom and I were sitting in a little uh, sandwich shop, grabbing some lunch, and on the wall, there were uh, flyers for this place that was taking in borders. Uh, they had a fraternity house. It was a uh, new fraternity. They had just rechartered, I guess, in uh, two years before I came. And um, they had some empty rooms and they were taking in boarders. And I ended up living in the Sigep house as a boarder more out of necessity than out of desire. Uh, and uh, I went to the first party because I lived there and I figure I might as well. And uh, the rest is history. I joined as a first quarter freshman. I lived in the house for three years. I. You know, it became. SIGET became a big part of my life uh, right from the very beginning in 1981.
0: I love that. I mean, yeah. who who wouldn't overlook you know such a, a small, minute detail as housing for their first year, right? Yeah, you know,
1: <laughs> I, I wasn't quite as organized back then as I am now. It took my wife to get me organized. But uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, I yeah, it was. Uh, you know, back then, Caleb, it was one of those things where I I was 17. I thought. Eh, No, no problem. I could show up the day of school. I'll find a place to live. Yeah, Uh, you know, just one of those things I overlooked. I I had a lot of other things on my mind. A lot of other things going on.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, for crying sideways, you were competing over in Israel. You had a bigger fish to fry.
1: I was and it was a, a for me. It was a very positive experience, not only because I was competing, but my brother was competing with me, my grandfather. Uh, who had uh, started my brother and I trap shooting um, was the coach was essentially coaching us over there Uh, and so it was just an amazing experience for me
0: Wow so it really runs in the family then that's for
1: yeah it did Um, for a lot of reasons I actually haven't shot in about 30 years but uh, you know that's another story for another day but but it's um, growing up it was a huge part of my life I would spend my summers back in Ohio with my grandfather, my brother and I would, and we would sort of travel the circuit and go shooting back there and, um, participate in competitions all over the country. And it was just a fantastic experience, something that most kids don't get to do growing up.
0: Yeah. Yo, very cool. We'll have to uh, add that into the agenda at conclave, add trap shooting in there in between the never ending list of meetings.
1: (laughs) Well, it was, it was always the big joke because, you know, it's, uh, I I do not look like I'm athletic unless I'm playing an offensive lineman or something like that but you know it was always the big joke in the fraternity it's like okay look at all these people who's the one person that you think was actually won a gold medal overseas in a, <laughs> in a sporting event I was always going to be the last choice but
2: you know it is it's uh, it is what it
1: is
0: that's funny that's funny and so you you're then living in the fraternity house out of necessity as you said and then I mean at that point yeah it just becomes your world because you're you're living with them you're, you're going to their, their parties but i'm curious brother like at what point was did you start to make that shift because you mentioned you know you were kind of anti-greek life coming in was there like a moment or was there something that stands out where you're like wow not only you know am i okay with this but i could see myself as a part of this
1: yeah well i saw myself as a part of it pretty early on because i I meshed really well with the brothers who lived in the in the house. Uh, one of my roommates uh, was a brother. Um, I became friends with those guys as I became their brother. and so my my idea about fraternity started to change, mm-hmm. although I have to tell you back then, you know things uh, were still a little bit more on the uh, animal house side than I liked. Mm-hmm. but because it was a relatively new recharted chapter um i saw early on where there were opportunities for me to make a difference and that really appealed to me uh, to become involved in leadership and i you know i did things in the house um i held positions uh but but if you want to really point to the one event that i think really changed my perception of SIGAT uh and uh, sort of pushed me in the direction of where I am today, at least in terms of my, well, I guess in terms of my, my life and career, because ultimately, um, I was encouraged to become a lawyer because of asig Um But, but I went to Conclave in 1983. Um, mm. I was in my third year in the chapter, I was active. Um, and I had leadership roles, but I didn't really see myself I didn't see SIG Epp in the larger picture. I didn't see myself being involved with SIGEP once I graduated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I, uh, having gone to Conclave in 1983 in Chicago, um, I actually uh, was driven from Chicago. I, I had to go shoot in the National Shooting Championships, which were in Vandalia, Ohio, outside of Dayton. And our ABC president at the time, John Hoffman, was uh, someone who um, was originally from Cincinnati. So he was driving to Cincinnati, offered to give me a ride to Vandalia um, from Conclave. And he and I struck up a conversation uh, about SIGEP, which ultimately led to, um, to my getting more active, my getting more involved, uh, my having just seen what SIGEP was like, you know, at Conclave on a, on a larger scale. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's really the point in my mind where I first thought, you know, this is something that's important enough to me to where when I graduate, that's not going to be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, again, I you know there are those few moments in your life, Caleb, where you can look at it and say, um, this is a point that changed something for me. Yeah. You know, when you get married, when you have kids, when you have your first job, in terms of my SIGEP um, life, I can picture that moment like it was yesterday as I'm sitting in that car with John, wow. who ultimately <laughs> was awarded the Order of the Golden Heart and was just just an amazing uh, role model for me.
0: Yeah, that's a powerful memory there. Um, you know, just one car ride can completely transform uh, a brother's SIGAP life and i, I want to stay there with with um brother hoffman because i know that you know you've mentioned it in previous speeches but the the sheer influence uh that he had on, on your life as a volunteer within that chapter so i'm curious you know how would you describe the influence that he had on you because i know you just shared with sigep i know professionally as well there was you know a lot of influence there so Tell me more, you know, what was the, the impact, the influence left by Brother Hoffman on you personally?
1: Uh, too too much to describe. I mean, uh, he, you know, the, the thing about John is he and I could not be more different. Um, I was, uh, you know, I guess what they'd call progressive today, but, you know, what they call liberal. Um, you know, I had views. I was fiscally little fiscally conservative but but for the most part socially liberal john was very conservative about everything john liked to build things i can't hammer a nail Uh, (laughs) john john was into cars i could give a crap about cars it wasn't my thing but there was something look and and i can't tell you what it was but there was something that john saw in me um where he saw me as being someone who could ultimately help develop this young chapter uh, but at the same time um, he let me know how much you know first being in leadership as an undergraduate and then ultimately volunteering uh, could change my life as well and um, you know as you said i when when i was honored to receive the exemplary service award i gave a speech about it but to me it's it's You know it was about being able to change one life and change one person's life and after volunteering the one thing that i learned um was that the life that was changed the most significantly was my own Mm. and uh, as i was trying to change someone else's life i didn't realize the impact it would have on me and john knew that um and uh, you know it's sort of like Dorothy being in Kansas you have to learn for yourself yeah you know and and so somebody can tell you this is gonna change your life but until you actually do it uh, and learn for yourself you know you really don't understand the impact that it will have on you and you know I like to think that I've had an impact on other people's lives and that I've been able to do for others what brother Hoffman has done for me Um, but even if I haven't uh, it's you know, what he has done for me um, in my just just in terms of how I think about volunteering has just been amazing. And, and as you mentioned, you know, in terms of my career, John was a lawyer. Yep. He encouraged me. He gave me my first job um, as a, I was a gopher in the law office. I mean, I wasn't doing legal work, but I was running papers from here and there. But again, you know, he wrote my letter of recommendation for law school, one of them. Uh, again, someone who uh, could not be more different than I was, but because of the SIGEP connection that we had, um, someone who was a huge influence in my life.
0: That's very cool. And I, I know too, with so many of these OGH recipients that, you know, they've deeply touched the lives of many lifetime volunteers, such as yourself. So with the you know time that you spent with him, not only as an undergrad, but then especially for many, many years following your graduation uh, on the EVC serving with him, you know, if you had to select like the the biggest lesson that you took away from Brother Hoffman, what would that lesson be?
1: you know as I, I think as I said it's it's that if you volunteer, uh, you'll get more out of it than you put into it. Mm -hmm. and so it really is a a, you know a a, um sort of an exponential type thing which is if you put a little bit into it you'll get a little more out of it if you put a lot into it you'll get a lot more out of it and so you know it's the camaraderie it's the brotherhood it's the um you know the, the feelings you get of knowing that you're helping undergraduates it's just that if you uh if you help others that you'll end up um, helping yourself more than you help others. And I, I never thought of it that way. I truly never thought of it that way. I thought that, you know, um, when you're, you know, when you go through Sigep, you think about, okay, well, you know, maybe I can do something good for somebody else, but, but you don't do it with the idea that in the end, those benefits are going to come back to you. And uh, what John taught me is that by helping others, you truly are benefiting yourself. And, I mean, we can talk forever about the friends that I've made through SIGAP and the experiences that I've had mm-hmm. and the life that I've had. And, you know, I've I've gone through a lot in my life and, you know, but, uh, but SIGAP has been a huge part of it. Uh, and I credit that part of my life back to John.
2: I love that. That's cool.
0: And I mean, and you mentioned that as well, with just uh, the the sheer amount of of brotherhood and, and brotherly love that you've you know been fortunate to receive, not only from you know SIGET mentors such as Hoffman, but the the many, many brothers that you've encountered since then, whether it's volunteering with fellow volunteers and uh, the countless undergrads as well. And it, it makes me think back to one specific line that stood out like a sore thumb from from your speech where you'd said, uh, when you know accepting the award your response to why you volunteer is i could never give enough to equal what i'd received in my 35-year membership in in the brotherhood um and, and that stood out to me as well because i've noticed that trend over the the series of conversations on this podcast and you know in addition to to what you know the influence brother hoffman had had you know in, in what ways has this brotherhood continued to, to give back to you as well? Like you mentioned how, you know, the one person that was constantly being, you know, influenced was you through volunteering. So in what ways has that 35 years of brotherhood continued to, to give back to you? Uh,
1: you know, again, I mean, it gives back to me every day. Um, I, I, by choosing to get involved first on the ABC at Santa Barbara uh, and then uh, more on a national level, I've made so many friends and established so many relationships, um, and you know, to me, those are the things that are the most important to me now. From a SIGAP standpoint, is you know, people like Gary Keefe or Tom Barton or Dave McLaughlin or Steve Hofstetter, those folks on the national level, or you know, Aaron Levine or Travis Heard or you know, Cameron Nagler on the local level, people who who for me, uh, are now, I count amongst my best friends, people, Mm -hmm. you know, David Calderon and and Renato Villacorte, people I talk to, um, sometimes on a daily basis, you know, about SIGEP things, but also about life. Uh, And, you know, people I know I can count on because I've seen what they do for others. And I know that they're, they have the same mindset that I do about the fact that that you know being a part of sig is more than uh just you know trying to to you know pad your resume um which you know a lot of undergraduates think that they yeah. think oh, i'm going to be president of the chapter can i can pad my resume boy if you think about it differently and you think about it in terms of what it means to be a sig and you know if you live with the cardinal principles every day and Understand that part of your role in SIGEP is to give back. It will change your life. And so, you know, even today, um, I, you know, this morning, I mean, the first thing I did is I looked, I had emails and texts from SIGEP brothers um, wishing me a happy new year. It's, it's, it's fulfilling. Um, It's fulfilling. And they've become a part of my family. And uh, I couldn't have scripted that.
0: That's perfect. And, and none of those brothers had to bribe you to, to say a nice thing on the episode as well, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> well, well, only Barton. Barton bribes me, but that's okay. That's, you know, again, I wouldn't be his friend otherwise. No, no I love Tom. I love
0: Tom. That, that is so cool. And I mean, through that as well, like the 30 plus years that you volunteered, you've worn... Many, many hats. I mean, obviously you've stayed highly involved within your own home chapter uh, Pouring in there, but also on the the national level, you've volunteered in numerous capacities as well I'm curious out of out of the many volunteer roles that you've had Is there one that stands out to be the most impactful then or or the most fulfilling and rewarding? Uh, And if so, which and which and why?
1: You know, there's really two Um, On the local level being involved with the ABC since 1986. um, So what is that? 35 years, whatever it's been. uh, To me, I get to have that interaction with the undergraduates. And I get to see uh, how they grow and how they change and how they develop as young men. And to me, that's rewarding uh, because I can see the difference. I can see the impact. And I don't say that I'm the one that has that impact on them. but I know that me and the rest of our ABC board are there, uh, have you know been and had the ability to help the, folk, the the young undergrads when they've needed it, uh, have been able to help shape their careers. I've written more recommendation letters for grad school than you can imagine, um, <laughs> many of whom have gotten in despite my recommendation letters. Uh, but but you know so to me. Just seeing those guys grow, and I'm friends with most of them on Facebook, which I, I use mostly for SIGEP communication. But you know, kids that graduated 25 years ago, who I'm still friends with because of that experience, and I can track their life, how they've grown, and, and knowing that I, I, I didn't play a large part, but I played a little part in that. Yeah, uh, has been very rewarding to me. And then secondly, I love the work I do. Uh, on snack on the sigep national advancement council um because number one it helps raise money for sigep leadership programs which i love uh, but secondly and i guess in some ways it's selfish you know it, it helps add to the board of governors and the folks who are on the board of governors have become my closest friends uh the folks who serve on snack have become my closest friends uh and so for me it's an opportunity to network to uh, have friendships lifelong friendships uh while you know while doing important things um you know snack has always sort of been the little secret hidden committee within siget because most people don't know what we do uh but uh you know we we're the ones who are responsible for making sure that uh you know these uh, that Jan uh, uh Gen, donations come into the general fund the, the board of governors stays strong and the year after year we've increased our membership so we're proud of the work that we do uh, even if we don't get the credit or recognition and the fortunate thing is if you look at the folks who serve on the committee you know um they're not people who want the recognition we don't do it for that yeah uh, we do it because it makes a difference and because we've developed a brotherhood within a brotherhood and a camaraderie amongst the members of the group, uh, that makes it so very special
2: to me.
0: Yeah, that is that is a very good uh, a good group of of people there on snack. And I think at the rate we're going, we'll, we'll probably have most of snack hosted on the podcast before we know it. You know,
1: that's what I was going to say. You've interviewed most of them already. <laughs> I mean, I think you've got Bart McLaughlin, Calderon, Hofstetter. <laughs> So you know
0: who do you, who do you need? You know, I, I know. I guess it, it, it just happened. <laughs> no, no,
1: no, you still got two or three more. So you better get
0: on. Them. Yeah, I, I want to. There's one part too. I I want to go back to because you mentioned how, uh, you know, part of it from the influence of Hoffman, the desire to, to impact just that one life, right? That one life uh, of a brother. And you'd mentioned how you'd you've written countless uh, letters of recommendation. I think that's just the nature of the beast. As an AVC president, you're just cranking out letters of rec. But I'm curious: is there a brother that stands out that you know you feel particularly proud of, like you know your contribution to their development and you know where they're at now um, as a result of your volunteering? I guess it's a chance for you to, to brag about yourself a little bit as the impact that you've made. Is but is there is there somebody that comes to mind then?
1: Yeah, there there is, but it's not bragging about me; it's bragging about him and. Uh... You know so so travis hurd who uh, has served on the abc with me i first met him when he was an undergrad uh he was uh, in the early 2000s in the chapter um and uh, he was a leader in the chapter and just a, an overall great guy and uh you know he was uh, he was looking to go to business school uh, ended up uh deciding that he wanted to go to ucla anderson school of business um, and uh, I wrote a letter of recommendation for him. Again, he got in. I'm sure my letter had no impact, but he got <laughs> in anyway. Uh, and uh, was successful in business school. And he's now the uh, the CEO, uh, not the C- I think the CFO. I whatever position he has of Outernone, um, which is the clothing company run by uh, Kelly Slater, the uh, the surfer. Um, but he's done really well, you know, and, and I can go on list of lists. You know, Aaron Levine, who um, has served with me on the ABC for a long time, is a lawyer. And, you know, he worked for our firm as, when he was in law school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've helped him in terms of trying to, to recommend him for, for other jobs. And he's been successful in his career. Um, you know, uh, Eric Lauterbach, who was actually an undergrad at the same time I was. Um, has gone on to become the, the CEO of Pete's Coffee, uh, and uh, so um, you know we and we've had undergrads I can point to who've become doctors, who've become lawyers, who've become teachers, who've become successful in whatever career mm-hmm. they've chosen for themselves, and regardless of what it is, you know, I I, I know that that the work that we've done as an AVC and to a lesser extent, the work that I've done individually has helped contribute positively to their lives. And so, uh, you know, I'm proud of all of that. Um, You know, it's, again, it's one of those things where uh, I look back and I say, okay, I know it's made a difference on those lives. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and, and they're all, you know, and they're they've all been so wonderful in terms of, you know, letting me know how much they appreciate what I've done. But uh, but like I said, I get more satisfaction out of it, I'm sure, than they do. Um, yeah. Just knowing just knowing that, you know, that SIGAP as a whole has had a positive impact on their lives. Yeah,
0: and and that's an impressive, reel there of undergrads and, and in apps now. So I, I can imagine. Uh, how cool that is even just to to watch from afar as as they continue to to win and you know in life and that's that's very cool. And absolutely
1: Caleb and and when you go on to become a famous broadcaster you know I'll say he interviewed me once you know <laughs> so so it uh, it works all the way around. There we go. <laughs> I represented a famous broadcaster once so I'll introduce you to her. So
0: There we yes, right on. <laughs> and and I normally i, I asked this question in a different way but just your your sheer massive experience with volunteering i, I almost have to change it up so you'll say that you have that volunteer because it it can be pretty frustrating at times you know i i assume it can be challenging volunteering um and at times you know until you really start to see the fruition of some of that time it it, it can be really a, a drag so say that you have a, a volunteer that's looking to take a step back right because they've it, it's just they've been grinding, right, and, and they're just not really seeing it, and um, it's just been frankly frustrating. Like, what words of encouragement then, and advice would you give that that Siget volunteer?
1: You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because it's not just other Siget volunteers who've had that um, had that experience where they get you know dejected, they feel like they're not doing what they could be doing. They don't see the results in the chapter. I felt that myself. Um, you know, so it's not just what I words of encouragement I give to other volunteers. It's sometimes having to reinforce it within myself because, you know, we've had times at at Santa Barbara where, um, I felt like I wasn't getting through to them. Mm. Uh, and, um, You know, I've sat down with my fellow AVC members, and we've expressed frustration. I've sat down with members of headquarters staff expressing that frustration. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've sometimes jokingly, sometimes not so jokingly said, I'm just not going to do this anymore um, on the AVC level because I've been, been frustrated with my inability to do what I know can be done. Mm -hmm. To make our chapter strong uh, as strong as they can be Um, But I remind myself and I remind my fellow volunteers that it is cyclical that again, you know It's it's in the hard times it's in the difficult times it's in the down times that the chapter really needs us uh, that it's really easy to be on an AVC and to mentor kids when the chapter's doing well. Um, And that's the fun part because, you know, when you're winning buck cups and you're doing all the right stuff, you know, you're riding high. But where you can see your volunteerism have the most impact is when you are dealing with a difficult situation, when you are dealing with a chapter that's on a downward trajectory and needs Be pumped back up again Uh, and so that's really what I've told myself and what I've told my fellow volunteers which is now is the time you're needed the most and you can Mm -hmm. be disappointed you can be um, dejected you could feel like you're not making a difference so why do you continue to do this you continue to do this because you know you can make a difference because you know you've made a difference in the past you know that they need you and if you don't do it, it's not going to get done, and if it doesn't get done, then these young men aren't going to have the same kind of SIGEP experience that you've had. So you gotta you gotta stay positive, and uh, you know and we've had those situations where it's worked, and we've had those situations where it still hasn't worked quite as well as we wanted it to, but we keep on grinding away, and and so every time I threaten to quit, it just comes back to, you know, if I quit what's gonna happen. You know, I don't you know, one of the things that I tell that our undergrads at Santa Barbara all the time is the thing that I'm most proud of is that since our recharter in 1979, you know, fraternity life is cyclical. Since 1979, we're the only fraternity at Santa Barbara who's been there consistently, who hasn't been who hasn't been, you know, had their charter pulled or who hasn't voluntarily decided to, to end it. We're the only ones and I'm proud of that and because since 19, so we rechartered in 79,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I've been there since 81. And so I take it personally yeah. and I say, you know, it's not going to go down under my watch. We're not going to get kicked off campus or we're not going to have to voluntarily close down under my watch. And so when new freshmen come in, what I tell them is I say, look, you know, I'm going to be here to help you. I'm going to be here to mentor you as an ABC. We're going to be here for what you need. But I'll really tell you one thing. I have one goal, and that's to be here next year. And if we're here next year, then I've accomplished my goal. And if every year my goal is to have our chapter be here next year, then we'll be fine. If ultimately I don't accomplish that goal, you know, then I'm the one that's failed. Because mm. I'm going to ensure that we have to do everything, and including making hard decisions. But I'm going to ensure that we're here next year. And if you look at it that way, it makes it a little bit easier to deal with the downtimes. I think.
0: Yeah. No, I can see that. It's a compelling vision. You know, keep the experience alive. Stay here another year, so that other other young men can have the the SIGEP experience. That
1: yeah, was- and it's and it's sort of like you know the 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 one day at a time. Model, which is if I look at it one year at a time rather than look and say, Oh, we're going to be here 10 years from now. I say, No, we're going to be here next year. Yeah. And if we're here next year, then I'm perfectly fine with that. And then next year, I'll deal with, Okay, now we'll be here the following year. And it, you just sort of got to look at it in short intervals because if you don't, you'll drive yourself
2: crazy.
0: Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, and even so, aside from the volunteering, I, I feel. Going all the way down the the trip down memory lane. It's the it's eighties. The you're there at UC Santa Barbara. I'm curious. We don't if, want
1: to talk about the eighties at UC Santa Barbara. Oh, oh that's
0: exactly gosh. what it's gonna do. That is was crazy. You know, oh, uh,
1: you know what is um, when you look
0: back at that your undergraduate years. Is there a, a memory that stands out that is just the the funnest memory where you just think, wow, that was dumb, um, or that that stands out as a, a fun memory
1: so many fun memories, so many dumb memories, you know, th- th- things that if our undergrads did today, um, I-, I would be all over them for it, You would be so. getting the
0: call about it, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, so so I hope undergrads aren't listening, other than you, I hope undergrads aren't listening to these podcasts, because if, if they do, I'm going to share some things that I don't think that they need to hear. Uh, you know, so, so many fun memories with Gosh, you know, Caleb. There, there. Many of the brothers who were undergrads with me are my closest friends today, and so the memories are everything from small, little personal interactions. You know, Craig Eichner, who was one of my best friends, one of my best men at my wedding. I, he and my brother were co-best men. Um, you know, just so many personal small things but the the large things gosh we do annual trips to tijuana in the back of one of our brother paul plamondon had the old woody station wagon and we jump in the back of the station wagon drive all the way down to tijuana and and uh you know have experiences down there back then you know you could come come and go across the border without any issues and so you know we'd go down there party down there and come back up and then crash in our San Diego State chapter. Um, we had times where, you know, we had our chapter room. So, so our house at Santa Barbara was built as a fraternity house. And mm-hmm. uh, so we have a pretty large chapter room. We'd, <laughs> we'd take the, you know, we'd pour water all over the floor and then we'd put oil on the floor and we'd run from outside and we'd call it floor sliding. and. <laughs> Us and our little sister we'd slide all the way across the chapter room floor wearing our bathing suits and there's pictures of all of this and you know and uh, one of our alums now uh, who was an undergrad with me Matt Duncan he was he's this big tall guy he was from France and he had all of these crazy ideas but he came up with an idea to do what they call the polar ice cap party where we would go out And then we would get styrofoam chips and fill them like three feet high in our chapter room and everything would be white. Everyone would wear white. We'd have a live band come in and, uh, and it was just the party of the year, which by the way, up until Sigep went substance free, they did that party at the house every year (laughs) um, for, for 30 years. So something that survived in fact, they started bringing in real snow, which is completely different. Though. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just I have so many memories and so many good, good memories. You know, my when I got married in 1992, you know, our our wedding colors were purple and red. Uh, most of our, you know, we had probably 30 to 40 sig at the wedding nice. or, or more. Um, you know, just so many, uh, and everything that I've just said, don't do, you guys can't do that.
0: (laughs) Well, I was going to say the floor sliding. I think if a chapter got creative, they could, they could pitch it in a way that it's a learning community event, you know, uh, they're they're experimenting with physics, you
1: know, Except, except the problem Caleb is because of, uh. Because of the oil we put on the floor, when we slide, we'd go head first right into a wall. So <laughs> by the way, that explains why some of us, you know, have a little bit of you know, <laughs> issues these days. but uh, but no, i I would advise against doing that. I would advise against doing everything I just said that we did. Um, but, but back then, things were different mm-hmm. and and I'm not saying they were better or worse, they were just different, and we just had different experiences. And I'll bet if you ask a lot of the undergrads at Santa Barbara today, they have different types of experiences, which are just as near and dear to them.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But yeah, these are memories I have, and there's photographs of all of them sitting in a closet at the Cal Gamma chapter, which there's one key to that closet, and I have it. So (laughs) (laughs) those memories stay locked away.
0: (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. That is too funny. Yeah, and I love the disclaimer. Now all of now all of the headquarters staff members listening can can rest at peace tonight after after hearing
1: that. <laughs> Until they call you and tell you to edit that part out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, aside from Sigep, I would be a complete fool uh, not to to dive into bits of your career as well as one of the most successful brothers in the country, uh, in terms of their career. And so you had alluded earlier towards, you know, getting your start in law, um, you know, brother Hoffman playing a role into that. But since then, I mean, you've handled, you know, million dollar settlements, you know, just another week in the office, I'm sure, uh, you know, and, and massive cases such as the the Marriott case. So, uh, you know, what, um, what is, what, what, what have you found most rewarding then uh, about your career to this point? As you've, you've done so much right within the, the industry, the field, um, what has been the most rewarding part of your career?
1: You know, I've been so fortunate as to be able to practice law with some amazing lawyers. Uh, and, you know, I look at my life, Caleb, as being one where in a lot of places, it was just being in the right place at the right time. So I'm a, I'm one of those lawyers, one of those very few lawyers who've practiced at the same law firm my entire career. Mm. So I've been with the firm that I'm with, Green, Broilette, and Wheeler for, I started in 1989, so what is that, 32 years now. Oh. And And I had the amazing opportunity to learn how to try cases from some of the best trial lawyers in the country, Brown Green, who is world renowned, Bruce Broilette, um, Tim Wheeler, um, one of our former partners, Brian Panish, who's one of the, the top lawyers in the country. I mean, so so I was very blessed. Because of that, I've had the opportunity to do good. And, and when I look at my career, you know, I. I've had, you know, like the the Aaron Andrews versus Marriott case or the Todd McNair versus NCAA case, um, people, cases where they've had some notoriety, but those aren't the cases that stick with me the most. Um, I love those people and, and, you know, and love what we've been able to do in terms of being able to make a difference. But I have, I've had cases where, that have just been heart wrenching. Uh, for example, one in particular that comes to mind, I, you know, start to cry as I talk about it, is a little girl who unfortunately was, uh, was uh, she died when she became uh, entangled in a mini blind cord and was wow. strangled. And what we learned is that the, the mini blind cord industry at the time had available to them what they call breakaway tassels on the cords where um, if, if someone were to become because that's that was a real thing that was happening often. Mm. Uh, there were you know fifty to hundred, I don't remember the numbers, but significant number of deaths that would occur to young children from that. but what they had were what they called breakaway tassels where if that happened, they would break apart and it wouldn't form the loop for for kids to become uh, entangled in these. And what they were doing is on higher end, so people that had money and could afford to buy the slightly more expensive tassels got the safety, and those who couldn't afford it got the less safe cords and this type of thing would happen. Okay, And so through a lawsuit that I had on behalf of that family, we actually change the way that the industry did things, to make it less expensive for people to purchase those breakaway tassels and to make most of those products safer for young kids. And I can point to several cases like that in my career where, you know, people haven't necessarily heard about the case, but they've seen the result. Yeah. Uh, early, Early on, you know, if you go out and you look at your water heater in your garage, most of them are elevated. You'll see they're elevated at least 18 inches up off the ground. Well, that's a result, direct result of a case we did years ago where they found that uh, flammable vapors from gasoline that would be, for example, accidentally spilled on the ground um, would stay close to the, to the ground and wouldn't rise. And so if you elevated a, an open flame, for example, on a, a water heater, um, you'd less, it was less likely that you'd have a flash fire, or an explosion in a garage. So, I mean, again, a lot of things where we've made a difference cases yeah. I've worked on have helped promote safety. Uh, and those are the ones I'm most proud of.
0: That's, a, that's a cool. I, I never thought to look at it from that lens of, you know, the, the amount of meaningful change that you're able to make, whether it's, you know, your, your water heater or, or the, the way that your blinds are in terms of safety, um, you know, cause I could see that being overlooked compared to the, Oh, here's this massive you know settlement, you know, cause that's the, the, the flashy. Um,
1: but yeah, but that's, but, but you know, I do it, I don't do it for the flashy stuff. Oh, it's nice. You know, look, when people come and say, Oh yeah, you were Aaron Andrews lawyer in that case I saw on TV or, or, you know, it's nice and it's flattering and whatever else, but really, you know, I, I don't do what I do for that. Caleb, mm-hmm. I do, what I do because I truly do think I make a difference. And and to be clear, I mean, even in the Andrews versus Marriott case, I think it's made a huge difference in terms of safety and how hotels deal with people. And and so I'm extremely proud of that. Uh, but there are other cases I'm just as proud of, not because of the flash or because of the sizzle or because of the notoriety or anything that comes with that, but because I truly think I've what I've done and what our firm has done is saved lives, and uh, and to me, again, it's making that difference in one person's life, uh, and in this case, more than one person's life.
2: I
0: love that so much, and I hate to follow that up, but you're you're right. The uh, the Aaron Andrews Marriott case uh, was was a big one, um, and I, I constantly hear from people how it you know that was a big one, obviously a career milestone for you, but. What, what was the case? I mean, it was a a big one in terms of like settlement, but what was the case in, in general with that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it, so, uh, Erin Andrews was a, a sportscaster who was, um, coming up in her career. She had worked really hard to build a fantastic career. Uh, she was in a male dominated industry. She was really one of the first sideline reporters, um, first female sideline reporters who had gained some notoriety uh but she had gained the notoriety because of her hard work Mm. and she was extremely proud of that and her family was extremely proud of that um she was working a football game down in nashville doing a vanderbilt football game uh and a um, i don't even want to call him a gentleman a person uh had decided that he was going to follow her uh, around and ultimately um, come up with a scheme to videotape her naked in her room. And so what he did was he called around to some hotels in Nashville and said, uh, is uh, ESPN staying there? No, thank you. Is, he, is ESPN staying there? Yes, they are. Is Erin Anders staying there? Yes, she is. Um, well, I'm a friend of hers. Um, can you put me in the room next to her? Oh, sure. Oh. And so, uh, the hotel, um, ultimately put him in the room next to her. When she was out of the room, he was able to go out into the hallway and unscrew the peephole from the outside, take it back to his room. <laughs> I mean, talk about an elaborate plan. Yeah. He, he then, uh, sawed off the threads of the peephole to where it was essentially just a cap. He then went back and replaced it so it looked like the peephole was there and was fully functional. And then he would listen through the wall in his room. And when he had heard that she was in the shower uh, and that the shower then went off, he went out into the hallway, uh, took the cap off so he could take his phone, put it up to the peephole and videotape her when this poor young woman was getting dressed to go to work. Um, But because she was attractive and because she was well known, uh, when he put the videotape on the internet, unfortunately, over 20 million people plus viewed this video of this poor woman naked on the internet. and uh, you know, obviously her first thought was, how did this happen? I've never posed naked. I mean, she's the typical girl next door. Yeah. Somebody, somebody who, by her own testimony, when she was in high school, uh, would be the, the dancer that would go into the bathroom stall to change because she didn't want to change in front of the other girls. I mean, she was that's who she was. And um and uh you know, so she was worried about the impact it would have on her career yeah. because she's in a male dominated industry. And, you know, she would go to work games after all this happened and, and people are cruel. They would yell things at her like, uh, Oh, I saw you naked or, um, you look better naked than you do on, you know, with clothes, whatever, just mean, nasty thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, Ultimately, the lawsuit was about holding not only the individual who did this to her responsible. He had he had been convicted criminally, um, but didn't serve a ton of time in jail. You know, I think about a year and a half or two years, something like that. Oh, jeez. But it was about holding him civilly responsible, but also the hotel, who number one gave up her essentially her personal information by telling him what room she was in, and secondly, by uh, putting him in the room next to her without her knowing. So the hotel essentially facilitated this man, this person, this monster, uh, being able to do to her what he did, um, and uh, they needed to be held responsible for it. So. My partner, Bruce, and I, along with a fantastic lawyer named Randy Kennard down in Nashville, uh, tried the case to a Nashville jury,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is notoriously conservative. We had been told um, that no Nashville jury would give us a million dollars on the case because they hadn't given a million dollars to anybody that year in any case that had, happened, that had gone forward. and. Uh, Fortunately, we convinced a unanimous Nashville jury to give us $55 million bucks, and they did. But, but in the end, it wasn't about the money, Caleb. Mm-hmm. Um, hotels all over the world have now changed the way that they do business because of that case. They have uh, strict policies. Marriott, for example, has changed their policy to where now if you want an adjoining room next to somebody, both parties have to request it. Um, If the reservations were made at different times, so what Mm -hmm. happened to Aaron hopefully won't happen again And I'm so proud of her for standing up because she didn't have to She didn't need she didn't need the lawsuit. She didn't need to go through that but uh, she's a courageous woman and I'm so proud of her and to this day she uh, she and her family are close friends of mine because um, of that shared experience. And because, you know, they know how, you know, they, they talk to me about how uh, in awe of us they are as a legal team, but I can tell you we're more in awe of them for what they have been able to accomplish and for them putting themselves out there.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, like I said, I, would never heard the, the whole story. I am blown away. And, and like you said, yeah, it's completely, transformed the, the hotel industry. Um, so, you know, not only, you know, taking care of the, the family in that situation, but also, you know, preventing any monster in the future from that happening again. Very good. I
1: hope, I hope so. You know, I mean, again, that was really our goal at the end of the day. I mean, again, the money's nice. I'm not going to say it's not. I mean, but but it. that's not really what it was about. If the jury would have given us a lot less money, but the same result would have happened, I think Erin would have been just as satisfied knowing that she through putting herself out there has helped other folks. And you know, and as lawyers, look, we we tend to over overemphasize our importance. You know, it wasn't the lawyering in that case that won the case, in my view. It was having a client who the jury could relate to.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's cool
0: and and with all of this i mean you've become one of the best in in your field i mean even what top 100 super lawyer uh, so you know what advice then would you have for any uh, alumni or undergrads in terms of you know finding success in your career uh, what would your go to advice be
1: you know the one thing that i would that I would emphasize is be yourself and and it, it doesn't matter if it's in the legal career or you choose a career in whatever it is, be yourself and enjoy what you do. I I counsel a lot of people, undergrads from all over the country who uh, are considering law school. And the first question I always ask them is why do you want to go to law school? Mm -hmm. If the answer is because I'll make a lot of money or because my parents want me to go or because my family members who are lawyers, I tell them, don't do it because you won't be happy and you won't be successful. Whatever it is you decide to do, choose something that ultimately you're going to enjoy, that you're going to be passionate about. Uh, If you're going to be a lawyer, great. Uh, If you're passionate about it, great. Be yourself, enjoy what you do, uh, and if you do, you'll be successful. I don't care what you, you know, my, both of my kids, uh, are on paths to become teachers. I love that they're passionate about it. Um, because you'll have those, um, psychic rewards that mm-hmm. you get from doing something that you feel is right and that you're helping other people.
0: Wise words, be yourself, enjoy what you do.
1: Always, and especially as a trial lawyer, given what I do. I mean, you know, so many trial lawyers I see try to emulate others. You can't. Uh, Juries are smarter than you think they are. Yeah. Um, Give them credit. Know that they know when you're being genuine. Uh, They know when you're being honest. They know when you're being true to who you are as a lawyer. And you're talking to them. You're trying to tell them why they should find for your client. They have to believe you. They have to trust you. So don't try to do, you know, you can pick up tips from people. I picked up a lot of tips Mm -hmm. from the amazing trial lawyers I've worked with, but in the end I can't be Brown green or Bruce Broilad or Brian Panish or Tim Wheeler, whoever it might be. I have to be Scott Carr. And if I'm not, I won't be successful. And Mm -hmm. I learned that. uh, It's one of the the lessons I learned early on from some of my mentors.
0: That's awesome. So that's, that's perfect. So, Brother Scott Carr, the uh, the brother to turn to when you get uh, arrested for jaywalking, uh, right here.
1: <laughs> I get those calls, Caleb. I get those <laughs> calls all the time. You know, pe- people seeking legal advice from everything you know that's outside the scope of my expertise. But I either try. In fact, you know, uh, one of the young brothers that I went to, uh, you know, I, I I was honored to get to go on the quest to Greece a couple of years back, and one of the young brothers I went with. I helped the other day with trying to get out of his lease, you know, (laughs) it happens all the time, but I, but uh, I'm always, look, I'm always happy to help when I can, uh, you know, and whatever little bit of talent I have to to be able to put to to good use.
0: Always, always wanted to to offer his time and talent. That's fantastic. Well, it's, it's now time for my, my favorite part of the podcast uh the, the lightning round, the, the hard hitting questions. <laughs> uh, you ready for it?
1: You you mean the questions you've been giving me haven't been hard hitting already?
0: I... <laughs> oh, those are all just the warm-up for you, brother. Okay, yeah. all right. So this Go. first one, you know, brother Hof Center got off the leash on it, but funniest member of the SIGF National Advancement Council.
1: It's me! <laughs> told you, Caleb. It's me. Hofstetter <laughs> isn't even close. He just thinks he's funny because of what he does for his career. But I'm the funniest. All um, right,
2: you, you heard you know, it here we're, first, we're, folks.
1: We're, we're, we're all funny in our own in our <laughs> own way, but I love Steve, and Steve's hilarious. So, in all honesty, I'd have to give it to Steve. But I'm a close second.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: awesome. Uh, this one, next one, is uh, most impactful book that you've ever read.
1: You know, I I would say it's Team of Rivals uh, by Doris Kearns Goodwin. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read it, but it's about Abraham Lincoln uh, and his choosing his cabinet based upon uh, folks who had opposing views as he did. And to me, I look at it because I can, you know, especially with all the polar polarization going on Mm -hmm. in our country today, I look at it and say, look, you know, if people would be able to accept opposing viewpoints and not just be stuck in their own camp and can listen to others and rule and govern that way. Yes. Um, the, the diversity of ideas to me, um, is what's going to help us move forward. And Lincoln so adeptly was able to do that by bringing in folks who uh, had opposing viewpoints who he didn't get along with personally, but that he knew would ultimately uh, be able to to help him in terms of getting that diversity of thought, and the book is just brilliant, brilliantly written. So yeah. I would, I'd recommend it to anyone.
0: Definitely, it's a it's a dense sucker, that's for sure.
1: But yes, yes, super it is. Good. But it's so worth it. And look, I, I grew up so so. I'll tell you a secret. I don't tell too many people. So it, this is only between you and me. Nobody else is listening. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> When I grew up, I wanted to be president of the United States, and uh, I went to Washington, D.C. when I was eight years old. And to me, I was hooked. I, it was the reason I was always going to be a lawyer when I was a kid, because, you know, that was sort of the stepping stone to become president. I ultimately, you know, when I got into college, knew that I had done some things that probably disqualified me <laughs> from being president of the United States, although who knows now. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so I was a history buff growing up and, and learning a lot about the presidents. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the book, uh, the team of rivals is right up my alley. But for me, um, it has such a larger meaning than, uh, than just the historical nature of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And she's, yeah, you're, I couldn't, could not agree more. She is a fantastic author all around. She amazing. Is, she's amazing at what she does. So. Uh, the other one, and I'm excited to hear this one from you. But most impactful quote or advice um, that you turn to often in, in your life.
1: You know, so so it comes back to it. It was actually from my grandfather, who played a huge part of my life. In my life, um, he, you know, I, as I said earlier, you know, he would. I, my brother and I would spend the summers with him back in Ohio um, shooting, but he was he was sort of, you know, my dad was, was absent uh, for the most part when I was growing up, and my mm-hmm. grandfather was like my surrogate dad. And one of the things that he would always say, and it's funny, my brother and I used to talk about it all the time because one of the things that my grandfather would always say to us is people can – take things away from you. They can take your car, they can take your house, they can take your money. But the one thing they can never take away from you is your education. And so go to college, become educated, go to grad school, become educated, do whatever you need to do to get that education because no one can ever take that away from you. And that's something that you'll always have your entire life. And it's interesting because I then added to that And when I talk to people about that and that advice that my grandfather gave to me, I said, there's really two things they can't take away from you. They can't take away your education and they can't take away your character. Mm. And so when you think about what it is that you have going through in your life, you have what you've learned and you have who you are. And so if you're well grounded and you have a solid character, and you've gotten a solid education, then you're going to lead a, a, a uh, you're going to re- lead a rewarding and fulfilling life. Education. And so that's that's stuck with me forever.
0: Education and character. That's yeah. really that's really fantastic. My next one is the the hypothetical billboard. You have the the massive billboard for the entire world to see. Uh, what message are you putting on that billboard, and why?
1: now the message i put on it now would be so different than the one i put on as an undergrad it's just the way you change your mindset um you know i think i think what i would put on is and and it goes along with a lot of what we're talking about but but make a positive difference i think those are the words that i would put on a billboard and 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 i say it that way caleb because making a positive difference can mean so many things to so many different people. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we can all do in our own unique way. Uh, and it doesn't have to be with money. It doesn't have to be with time. It doesn't have to be with, you know, as we say, it's a gap, time, talent, or um, talent, time, talent, or treasure. It, it has to do with what you see, how you can make a difference. And if we all have that, Uh, that attitude and we all have that mindset to me, there's nothing we can't do. And so, so, you know, hope not that people read billboards or necessarily (laughs) would react to it, but it has to be something positive in my view, because, you know, we need to change the way that people think about uh, where we, you know, our place in this world, I think.
2: Yeah. That's a beautiful message. Definitely. Thank you.
0: And last but not least, the the best question of the show. Uh, the reigning world champions, the uh, the Dodgers, have selected you for uh, the opening pitch uh, of this, uh, this season, and you get to pick the walkout song for them to blare as you're walking out to the mound.
1: <laughs> well, well, don't be so sure that's not going to happen because again, you know, one of these other secrets. So one of the things that I also do is I announce high school football games. I, <laughs> the, uh, i'm a high school football announcer um but my dream job is to be the dodger pa announcer so you know if uh i would quit my practice of law in a heartbeat if the dodgers gave me that call tomorrow but if they don't and they only call to for me to to, uh to come out and give the first pitch you know my walkout song for a lot of reasons, would probably be "Born in the USA" by Bruce Springsteen. Okay, and uh, the reason is, first of all, I'm a huge Springsteen fan, so anything he does for me would <laughs> would, would would be the thing. But but it's interesting because that song is it, a lot of people misperceive what it's about. They hear "Born in the USA" and they think it's a, you know oh this is this is a song about positivity and whatever else and and it's really a song about somebody who has struggled their whole life Mm. and uh it's really about a vietnam war veteran who comes back from the war and finds that nothing is available to him but at the same time he's proud that he's from the usa that he's an american and even with all the hits that he's taken in life he's still standing if you listen to the last line of the song you know he talks about all these troubles and everything he has then the last line is i'm a cool and daddy in the usa and so it's like here's somebody who's standing tall who's positive who's been pushed around who's you know hasn't had the best of life but he still thinks he's a cool and daddy in the usa and you know, that's me.
0: I can I can picture it now. the The stadium is buzzing as "Born in the USA" is, is blaring overhead. That's, Absolutely. That's Absolutely. funny. I, I see it working out as a, a dual deal, right? You know, it, instead of you, you get elected U.S. president, um, and then you know, in the off time, instead of hitting up the golf course, you're just you know announcing the Dodgers
2: games as well. Oh, That'd be my-
1: I'll, I'll give up the president thing at this point, Caleb. It's just not in the cards for me. The Dodger thing is still an aspiration. I'm there, and, and it's uh, you know, and, and again, it's it's funny because we all get, you know, we, we can talk about all of the, uh, you know, the 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 psychic rewards we get out of doing the things we do. I love announcing high school football games, um, and you know, it's it's and if I ever got the opportunity to be the Dodger PA announcer, honestly, truly. I would be there in a heartbeat.
0: That's awesome. So you cool. know,
1: can I just add one more thing about, about how tying all of this together, because it's important for me Yeah, is, you know, when, when you have a successful career and you have a, uh, you know, and you've had such a wonderful life in terms of the volunteer work and the friendships and, you know, everything that I've done, it's impossible to do that without the support of your family and your friends and you know and if it weren't for my wife and my kids and all of my friends I couldn't do any of the things that I do because it's a lot of sacrifices for them as well and you know I listen to you know some of the people who you've interviewed um, you know, whether it be Dave Calderon or whether it be Tom Barton or whether it be Dave McLaughlin uh, or even Gary Keith and, you know, folks who have spouses and, and family members who have sacrificed a lot to let them do what they do for SIGEP. And it's certainly been the same for me. And we don't recognize those people enough. Yeah. Uh, We don't go out of our way enough to thank them. And, So it was important for me to be able to, to thank my wife and my kids, but also to thank, you know, Dina Calderon or, um, you know, or Barry Manilow or, you know, people who allow their spouses and who support them in terms of all to do what they do and support them in everything that they do. And it's just really important for us all to recognize and to realize that the people who stand with us are the people who actually make the difference um, for our undergrads as well.
0: Very true. Behind every dedicated SIGET volunteer is a tremendous family support system there to, to back them up. I can't think and of I, a better way to, to put that beautifully said. Ab-
1: absolutely. and and. You know, and it's true with every SIGEP volunteer that I know. Uh, and a- again, you know, it's um, they are the un- they are the unsung heroes because they're the ones that sacrifice to allow us to do what we do. And. Uh, and it, it means a lot to me that at least in my own life, that my family um, respects that SIGEP is important to me and, uh, and stands behind me 100 percent.
0: Very true. Very cool. Well, from snagging medals across the world, trap shooting, to doing questionable activities such as sliding across the floors in undergrad, to becoming, you know, one of the the most dedicated volunteers with some really profound um, thoughts shared today on volunteering. I I can't thank you enough for hopping on this episode of Our Very Own Bounce Men and, and sharing a little bit more of your your time and talents with us today.
1: No, my pleasure Caleb. Thank you for doing this again. I've gotten so much out of the ones that I've listened to. And uh, again, it's like you said, it's just a conversation between two brothers and I really enjoyed it.
0: And All right, brothers. That wraps up this episode of Our Very Own Balance Men featuring brother Scott Carr. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to share it with a brother and be sure to follow us for our upcoming episodes with brothers such as Bill Tragos and Brian Warren. In the meantime, thanks as always for listening to the podcast. Appreciate it more than I can ever say.